Why, hello there. If you don't already recognize my sultry voice, this is DJ Art of the High Score 510 Podcast. First of all, I would like to thank you for listening to our show. Second of all, I want to remind you with a shameless plug of our Patreon page. Join our growing community and help support an indie podcast. The perks of being a patron, you ask? Why, Jesus, we'll bless you. So go check out patreon.com backslash highscore510. Regardless of which, we appreciate your support and hope you enjoy the show. It should have been a little nice axe, though, Jared. He was close with the red braids. Come on. So am I supposed to believe that he found, like, maybe one of the women that's, that went to hell with Idi Amin that braided his hair like that? Maybe. <laughs> Shit, man. I don't know. Little he, had, like, he on another level, man. He had to find some <laughs> some hardcore African woman to braid. It probably was that, girl, that woman from Delhi. <laughs> That was that. That might have been my cutting corner shot up. <laughs> that was close. I'm going to be honest. You know what? It would have been better off if he gave OJ a lap dance. Thank you. Let me get my second cutting corner shot. A little nice X. And then that pole had to be. That pole was longer than the pole that Luke Skywalker used to fish, Jared. Dude, that was a long ass pole. He's dropping he over heavy. there twirling and doing all that, man. He had, he had more moves than Magic Mike, J-Lo, and that stripper movie combined. Then once y'all have some some theory about uh, red braided uh, uh, people with red braids, can't trust them. I had theory about people in Oakland with red hair. Yeah. Any red any, hair. any any woman, including my wife, that color their hair, you can't trust. So you gonna trust Keisha Cole? No. Oh, absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> Me and Aaron got a fantasy draft, so so you. Know. Oh yeah, what time is that? I gotta put that in my phone. Like three fifteen, fool. That's coming up today, man. It's three fifteen. The fantasy draft started at three fifteen. Yeah, fool. That's why I was telling you get you on here earlier. Wait, wait why are your brother changing? Usually, you guys are the late family. Where did three fifteen come Cause from? Because he, he always worried about the East Coast people in the league. He's like, man, I gotta. They they say, you know, six o'clock. East, uh, Western man, time I'm tired of catering the East Coast time, man. I got to cater East Coast time when I watch sports. We got to cater East Coast time when I pick the Heisman Trophy winner. Everything. March Madness started so early this morning. Yeah, that is true. We got a good two hours. That saved us today, Kareem. That saved us. That fantasy yeah, draft saved us. Is that uh, that's baseball? That's yeah, baseball. fantasy baseball. Yep. Mm. Yep. You play uh, you do I'm, fantasy? I'm in a fantasy hoops league right now. Uh, I haven't done baseball, though. I just do football and basketball. We got a fantasy hoop league too, but there's a lot of drama around ours. It's a hater ass league, Kareem. A oh, is that right? League. Jared's our commissioner. I started He's our the commissioner. Hate. I started the hate. You they, 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 it with that, huh? They rejected a trade of his, and he started locking teams. Oh wow! <laughs> I'm telling you, it's a hater league. Now they hate it. They hate it when they rejected his trade. I'll be honest. I thought the trade was pretty even. It should have went through. I didn't reject it. Uh, they selectively locking teams. They selectively started voting against my trade, and if people they were calling did. around trying to get my my trade vetoed, calling colluding with each other, bunch of haters, and so you know it. Well, it I had the pass for some of Jerry's trades. You know, but I thought we moved past that. I got a real intense league then. Yeah, ain't no money on the line. It's all about. Ain't no money on the line. This is this is why I don't get involved with a grin. No money on the line, and they'll yell at you. I think one one time somebody pulled a pistol on me and they leave because <laughs> I didn't change the lineup. <laughs> I need somebody. I need uh, somebody down in New Orleans. I can pull, understand pull if it was money involved. This is why I don't get. I don't. I don't. I don't do no fantasies. I can understand if it's money involved, but ain't no money. They just be yelling at you on the on, on basis of day or freely. Shit, nigga, I'm at work. Can't change my thing right now. <laughs> it's a lot of pride. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, y'all ready to start the show? Yeah, I thought we already started it. That's why I'll do it all the time. I was trying to get my internet back up. Praise God. <laughs> you talked a little Nas X about that. We'll get to that a little bit later. But uh, <laughs> uh, aside from that, uh, Kareem, I need a letter. A letter? Yeah, a letter, like from alphabetical letter. Alphabet. Okay. Uh, K. K. Oh, Cucamonga Cracker Killers. Oh, boy. <laughs> Cucamonga start to see. What are you talking about? Everything, everything you just said started with a C. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> I just realized that. I, I, got, I got stuck at Kukamaka. <laughs> uh, welcome, ladies and gentlemen. You're listening to the High Score 510 podcast. 
You can catch us at High Score 510 on the Instagram, the YouTube, and the Twitter, and also at the dot com. And check out our Patreon page, uh, support an independent podcast at patreon.com backslash high score 510. And we are here with. Uh, this is Aaron Grayson. I'm coming at you faster than most Comcast, Cox, or whatever they got in Arizona where Pedro is cable company. Because it seemed like I fixed my internet faster than they, they can set up anything or make an appointment talk. I, I feel good about what we've been doing with the Lakers. Uh, I knew that uh, in my heart that we had tampered with it, you know, but at the same time, uh, we were warned. We did cross a line that we shouldn't have crossed. And uh, so Adam Silver did his job, you know, and so I take full responsibility because I'm the president of basketball. And so um, this happened on my watch. It doesn't affect Jeannie Buss. She's done, been an excellent boss. I love her to death. I, I love working for her. But uh, at the same time, you have to take ownership and accountability. And so I will do that. And did we, would I all, would I admit we did something wrong? No, I would never admit that because we haven't, but at the same time we have. Because I'm the president of basketball. <laughs> I, like, I know there's yeah, a president. president of all of basketball. I'm the president of basketball. basketball. Damn it. <laughs> he got voted in with Obama. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and we are here with. Hello everybody's, everybody's friendly truck driver, family friendly truck driver. Coming at you faster than all my damn kids in my house. Sir, now that you've got your check, do you plan on quitting your job driving this truck? Truck driver? I ain't no truck driver. I'm a janitor. Janitor? That's right, baby. I just bought this truck straight cash. And I got enough cigarettes to last me and my family for the rest of our lives. I'm rich, bitch! <laughs> uh, and we are here with our special guest today. Yo, what's up? It's Kareem Matthews coming to you live from the 310. Praise my dealer. That's a good one. <laughs> wow. <laughs> uh, what a selection. <laughs> and my name is Jared, a.k.a. DJ Art, with two T's for a double dose of that tink tink. The D is silent, so it's just Jart. Hmm. Let's go with this one. So y'all was in Iraq together? Yeah, we was in Iraq. What did you do? We was looking for weapons of mass destruction. Did you ever find them? You know goddamn well we ain't find them. What are you, some kind of political humorist? You guaranteed all up in this bitch? I was looking for bitches, but they had that carpet shit all over them and I couldn't see what they looked like. All that was really exposed was the eyes and that wasn't enough for me cause you know, shit, I'm looking at the eyes, the eyes can be pretty and I take that carpet off and then I got a tragedy. Well no, we ain't fine. But I always say the absence of evidence is not the evidence of absence. What? Simply because you don't have evidence that something does exist does not mean that you have evidence that something doesn't exist. What? What country are you from? What? What ain't no country I ever heard of. They speak English in what? What? English, motherfucker! Do you speak it? Glad to have you on, Kareem. Uh, you're a stand-up comedian. Um, and so uh, tell, yeah, tell us what got you into stand-up comedy. Well, I, I was always like a shit talker growing up. You know, I was just always had smart shit to say to people. And then like when I was in college, a friend of mine told me that what I was doing was kind of like stand-up comedy. And that was the first time that anyone had ever, like that just kind of set a light off in my, in my mind. You know what I mean? Like interesting. I never, I never thought of it like that. So like I was a comm major in college. So mostly what we did was write papers. So when she told me that, I started like jotting down. Anytime I would say something that was funny that would make like my little small group of friends laugh, I would jot it down. Four or five months later, that same chick, she was like, I'm putting on a, a talent show. Do you want to be in it? And I was like, yeah, yeah. You know, I had been jotting stuff down for a few months. So I had a few little things that I thought I wanted to do. I was like, how much time do I do? She was like, 15 minutes. I mean, I had never done stand-up before, so, you know, okay, 15 minutes, you know what I mean? So <laughs> That's what I'm like, a long time. Man. Man. For the first time. Of course, looking back at it, you know what I mean? But at that time, 
I had no idea. I had never done stand-up before. I had never even been to a stand-up show. Like, the only mm-hmm. thing I had ever seen about stand-up was uh, Eddie Murphy mm-hmm. of Raw. In my mind, that's what stand-up was. So in my mind, that's what I was trying to recreate. You know what I mean? The fortunate part about it was she had a rehearsal first. Because it wasn't just comedy. She had dancers, rappers, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? All kind of different acts in this talent show. So we got to go through what we were going to do before the actual show in front of the other people that were going to be in the show. So I kind of got an idea to see kind of how long it was going to be and where last would possibly come. So I had an idea that I could pretty, I could get pretty close to the 15 minutes. Yeah. So, you know, we did the show and like literally the first minute I knew, like I wanted to do this for the rest of my life. You know what I'm saying? I was like, this is something that I'm going to be able to do. Or at least that I want to do, you know, from now on. And the first show went great because it was all the people from the school. The stuff that I had jotted down was stuff they they could relate to. She had two real comics in in the show, too. You know what I'm saying? So after the show, they were like, yeah, you know, that was pretty funny. They were comics from the comedy store in La Jolla because I went to UCSD. So this was in San Diego they were like, you should come down to the comedy Mm. store. Like the open mic is on this night. They told me when the open mic was. So, you know, I went down there after the first one that we did and just got in their little open mic uh, circuit and shit, the rest is history. You know what I mean? Ain't ain't been no looking back. That's tight, man. I've gone to uh, a couple open mics, you know, back in my day, I used to, I didn't actually go up and do anything, but just enjoying watching, you know, comedians work through the material like you get the good and the bad so it's always like a cool lens into the the world of stand-up comedy in that that capacity but some of them like couldn't go for more than like three minutes and so i'm like 15 minutes man you must have had a lot of notes bro you had like a little <laughs> little black book yeah no nah, and it's crazy because after that first time i couldn't get back to 15 minutes for like two years that first time was I, I couldn't reach that level of anything about laughter about that time about Anything else about that first time I couldn't get back to for like two years. Because again, I didn't know anything that first time. So then after the first time, you start getting all this advice. People like, oh, you got to have new material next time. And and now you know what's coming. So it's like, you know, the nerves kick in way more. So fortunately, that first time went well for me that it made me want to get back on it. Yeah. But it took me a good minute, yo, to reach the level of that first time. Again, I couldn't do 15. And I always say, like, if I had had to start in L.A., I probably wouldn't have I probably wouldn't have made it, you know, because for all the things that you say, like those open mics, like I didn't I didn't really have to do too many of those like that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Those, those open mic gigs are, are hell, man. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> are, are they different in different places? Like in LA, they're hell. No, absolutely. And that's the thing. Like San Diego is a real nurturing city. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Not only for comedy, but like sports too. Like San Diego is the perfect place to get good at something. And then yeah. LA is the perfect place to come once you're good at something. Like LA mm-hmm. is not the place to learn your craft. You know what I mean? <laughs> that's why yeah. open mics in LA or hell. And that's why I was like, man, if I had to actually go through the open mic circuit in LA, I don't know if I would have lasted. But like in San Diego, the people are way more supportive of like whatever you're doing when you're new at it, like they really nurture you through, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. What would you say is um, one of the unique components of, you know, being in the the circles and the, the community of stand-up comics, you know what I'm saying, amongst each other? Um, do you guys hang out a lot in your circles? And what would you say is one of the unique components of that kind of social group or cultural cultural group? Man, it's crazy because I feel like during this pandemic, well, not I feel like, but I realized that's one of the things that I miss the most about the whole circuit is running into my homies out in public. Because now everything is, is virtual. So like it's some of my comedy friends I haven't seen, you know what I'm saying, in literally a year where... You know, when you on the circuit, you going out four or five times a week, you run into this dudes at gigs. I feel like that camaraderie is, is you know, you don't realize until it's gone that that's something that we really, you know what I'm saying, we really we really look for. I'm, I'm sure it's a pretty funny uh, group dynamic because I'm, I'm sure y'all are probably just bouncing all kinds of wild, wild ideas off each other. Uh, that too. And it's also a super competitive 
dynamic too, though. You know what I mean? Like yeah, that's what I was going to get to. It's usually you don't want to be around other comedians when they when they're writing jokes because I've heard the circuit talking about. Okay, well he stole that from me. Oh, you must have been listening to what I was saying. You took that right off, either right from off. So you try to close people out when they're doing their set. That, I heard that was one of the tricks. So I don't I really don't know how you would how you do it. Usually, like I had gotten to the point now, like with live stand-up before COVID, where I don't really watch much other stand-up anymore for that mm-hmm. exact reason, just so it don't seep into your consciousness. Cause sometimes you don't even know you're doing it. You know what I mean? Yeah. You heard something and then an hour or two later or a, a day or two later or however long a, a situation come up and, you, and it just pops into your head what you had heard. Robin Williams was like notorious for that. Like he actually set up a hotline where you could call in and say, hey, he stole that from me and they would actually <laughs> give you money. Like he got banned from the comedy store for that because he could sit in the back of the comedy store and watch everybody all night and then memorize everything, you know what I'm saying? And then you see him on the Tonight Show two days later doing your bit better than you did it, you know what I mean? <laughs> I had actually gotten to a point pre-COVID where I wasn't watching much other comedy, you know what I mean? But now, since COVID and doing all these Zoom shows, you kind of have to watch the whole show, you know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. it's like for the last year, mm. it's been crazy. I've been exposed to watching, you know, other comics and I actually feel like I've been learning, you know what I'm saying? It's, it's been a learning process. Kind of reminds me of when I first started. Because obviously when you first start, you watch everybody. Like everything, mm-hmm. you can learn from everyone. And after you've been doing it for a while, you build up your own technique that you, you kind of, you know, stray away from studying other comics as tough as you used to. Mm-hmm. But this last year kind of brought me back a little bit. And sometimes you're not even learning things you're going to do. You're learning things you're not going to do. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. That's that's just a bigger learning experience is let somebody else make the mistake and you'd be like, okay, I'm not going down that lane. Mm-hmm. <laughs> these COVID times, are these jokes writing themselves or are you having a hard time coming up with new material because of COVID? <laughs> well, no, no. It's, it's funny because, again, through these Zoom shows, I've come up with kind of like a COVID set from doing yeah. these shows every week for a year. And it's crazy because... I wasn't really even planning on like a COVID set. It just is kind of what happened. Cause it's this one weekly Zoom show that I've been doing. And just from doing it every, like every week, every couple weeks, something comes up that I put in there. And so now I'm realizing I kind of have a COVID set, which right. I don't need, I don't know how I feel about it yet. Like right now I'm still doing them on these Zoom shows. I don't know how it's going to be when things open all the way back up. Cause I don't want to be a COVID comic. And that's been my thing, like, about comedy the, all along. Like, I try to write bits that, that transcend time almost, that are not for that moment. Like, you writing a bit about Trump or you writing a bit about March Madness. Like, don't get me wrong, it's cool to have those bits, mm-hmm. but, like, they, they disappear quickly. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I like to write bits that can last, like, through time. And I feel like that's the best that's the best art in general. Like, you can still listen to Prince's shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's like 30, 40 years old, and you're like, damn, this is still good music. And then it's like movies that you can watch. In my mind, that's how I'm writing my jokes. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like Blank Man, man. That movie's tight. Still good. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh-huh. Um, as a comedian, you know what I'm saying? Do you have another nine to five job um, or are you able to sustain yourself just solely through comedy or what's that, what's that progression been like? Yeah, no, I've been, I've been a straight stand up man for probably like 10 years now. You know what I mean? I mean, again, during the pandemic, it's been tough, you know what I'm saying? But for me, like a lot of my money I make are off of commercial. Like that's, you know what I'm saying? That's where I get, the, the biggest chunk of my income. So that's kind of been saving me because the one thing about a commercial is like you can, they, they only usually last one day and the residuals can go for like three, four years. Mm-hmm. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. So, <coughs> what kind of commercials do you find yourself doing most often? Well, usually it's something sports related. Okay. You know what I mean? But um, the last 
kind of big one I did was it's not actually not sports related, but it was with a Tiki Barber. It was a Geico commercial where we was in the barber shop. It's like Tiki Barber is a barber shop, and he was messing everybody hair up. I was the dude whose hair he didn't mess up. You know what I'm saying? Oh, there you go. Okay, okay, that's like I know Pedro trying to get on a diabetes testing strip ad so he can get some of them residuals. <laughs> I'm trying to get the. Uh, I'm trying. I'm trying to. Uh, I, I just see, like you saying, I, I bought. I, I bit. We bit um, from what Leslie Jones when she brought up Sugarfoot on SNL, and we kind of oh, used that on the show. Stole that and ran with it. We ran. With stole that and ran with it. Hilarious, <laughs> man. Le- Leslie Jones is a beast, yo. Like I remember her from back before. You know, before the whole Saturday Night Live uh, yeah. thing took off for her. Mm. And you could tell, like, every once in a while, it's a comic that hit the circuit that you like, okay, like, they a monster right now. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I just remember there was a time when, when we call her Big Les, but it was right. a time when, when she was like that, yo. Like, she was literally, <clears throat> she would heat the stage up where dudes were scared oh, no. to follow her. You know no, what I mean? No, I, I, I kind of follow that, your, your comedy circle. Like, I was podcasting. Like the guys have podcasts. Like uh, I don't know if you know a local comedian. I think it's it's a TDP and uh, Shane and all them. Oh um, yes. yeah, 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 yeah. So I was following a lot of those podcasts a while ago, and they was talking about Leslie uh, Big Les, and it was talking like like if she didn't have that, like if she had a more sex, if she would have more sex appeal. She would have been gone, it, you know. He, he yeah. said a lot, a lot of the guys was talking about just the, the, her her image alone, like kept her, like her kept back. her back, held her back because she was the, she was a monster a long time ago. Well, you know, I feel like ultimately it worked out in her favor. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Because you're right. That's the thing. Like usually, hot chicks that do stand up, they don't do stand up long. No, you know what I'm yeah, they movies. get scooped up in the movies. Like it yeah. don't take. A hot chick that starts stand-up, she don't have to be very funny and she's usually not doing stand-up very long. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. How it worked out for Leslie, that, that may have been true. It may have held her back because they was looking at her like, man, what are we going to do with this six-foot-tall, dark-skinned yeah. black chick? You know what I'm saying? But in the long run, she got so strong. I'm, you know I'm, I'm so I'm so, I mean, I'm really proud she got, I'm like, yeah, this, this I'm glad that she got her. Now she, she got totally supermarket sweet. She's about to be the next <laughs> yeah. Oprah. That's what I'm saying. No, hey, yeah. you know that reminded me of when uh, Michael Richards was beasted it out there in 2006 during his comedy standup. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was a monster right there. He was taking on all comers. It's so funny because uh, <laughs> a friend of mine, Jay, it was a dude named Jay Davis. Like he was the one that was booking the Laugh Factory at that time when uh-huh. when Michael Richards. You know what I'm saying? Showed his ass. <laughs> <laughs> what was the con- did he did he tell you the conversation and what happened after that with the Michael Richards? Oh yeah, nah, nah, nah. That's some inside shit. <laughs> so what'd you say to him after that, he walked off stage? <laughs> that conversation needed to be happening on stage. That would have that sold the house. Oh, I, I was always you could have had a three o'clock show. <laughs> so I, I always thought that was like that was something. That's a, that's something that came from the heart. Right. I mean, oh no. Some oh, no. some came from the heart. I think oh, he was no. jealous of. If y'all don't know, um, Seinfeld and uh, what's his name, Wallace, uh, George, George Wallace. Wallace. They're best friends, mm-hmm. and they've been they've been best friends for a long George time. George Wallace even alive then? No, no, George Wallace, the comedian George Wallace. That's what you're yeah, talking about, right? Alive now? What are you talking he about? He alive now? You sure? George Wallace not dead? George Wallace just did no, a bit yeah. with Jay Leno. I could have sworn he died from hypertension <laughs> and, and, and grits. Aaron, you get a magic moment for killing somebody that's not dead. And I always kill people that ain't dead. This magic moment. If you don't know what a magic moment is, Kareem, it started with Aaron. Aaron has certain tendencies and similarities to Magic Johnson when he when he be talking about things, like that's being the president my, of basketball or killing people uh, or forgetting how to pluralize properly words. Because so, my diabetes be acting up like Magic Johnson. Hilarious. So, yeah, so, so if, Aaron, all, if all these white people could use diabetes on why they turn racist, I can't use it for when I say when I said someone's dead and they not. 
That's my diabetes, man. My sugar, my sugar went up. Uh, my sugar went up. That's why. I, that, that's what I thought. JJ from Good Times was dead. It was my sugar. <laughs> my insulin uh, showed up today and said, "I'm not gonna be here." <laughs> Um, all right well um question of the day question of the day sports related question of the day Draymond. oh shit oh sports is that sports update or is that yeah, a sports calling? update uh yeah breaking news uh andre drummond uh, signed yeah. with the lakers uh, anyway <laughs> come out uh, that three hours late breaking come news. On. No. no that's my that's what i'm talking about my old lady in this house being loud you'll get <laughs> the meter here pretty soon she'll come in here Hey, would you come get these groceries? Hey, Pedro's breaking news just told him that Eric Dickerson got traded to the Colts. <laughs> <laughs> just came for it right now. Man, I just found this out. That's hilarious. Uh, is, it, is it wrong for me to say Eric Dickerson eyebrows died? <laughs> that man ain't had an eyebrow in about 20 years. What's up with KD though? Like I'm hearing rumors that this injury is is more serious than they saying it is. You know I think saying? it is too. I think it is too, because mm. a, a hamstring injury don't take this long. Right, right. Like a torn hamstring takes this long and longer, but not a, a regular strain. I don't know if it's for real the hamstring, because on the radio they were saying that it's a Bo Jackson kind of injury. When I oh. heard, yeah, that is, that's exact. Oh, that's that like that's rule. ligament and muscle off the bone, isn't it? Yeah, closer to the closer to the hip area, you know what I'm saying? So uh, it would be a little higher than the hamstring. When I heard that, I was like, ooh, if it's that, you know what I mean? And he already coming off two major injuries. Like yeah. to yeah, me, he's sure. the one that's he's the most important piece. No, you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. He's if the, he's they don't have guy. him, Kyrie and and uh James Harden together, Blake, Aldridge, they can get anybody. They're not that's not enough. KD is the centerpiece that even yeah. if they didn't have Harden, they would have a really good chance. If, or if they didn't have Kyrie and just Harden, it would be way different than Harden and Kyrie together alone. Right. Even when KD was playing, he's a little like people were scoring on Kevin Durant pretty easily. He's lost oh. a little bit of his step because, you know, he's trying to get back, you know, trying to get back. Things. So he lost the, his quickness. So yeah. he's, he's not able to step in front of uh, like they did a comparison where he was. Like when he played with the Warriors, it was showing how quick and how much he, he improved on defense, how quick he was stepping in front of uh, in the lane and clogged the lane up. And he's not able to do that now. People are like stepping by him. It takes time, though. It takes time. He might never be the same. I, I, I tore my Achilles and I was like, ain't never the same. So like as much as we want to, you know, oh, he's he'll just have surgery, come right back. It's like, no, like it's just like any any car you get. Right. You get a nice car. And you get a little fender bender or you get kind of serious damage. And they're like, oh, you got to take the body shop and they're going to replace some parts. The car is no longer the same. Right. And that's just fact of the matter. They can get the same parts from the from the distributor and manufacturer. But, you know, it's not the original pieces that was in there. You know, the car was running nicely and doing all the the bells and whistles uh, when you first got it. And now you had to replace it. There's always that doubt. You man, what if this this replacement piece fails? What if this replacement piece has some kind of electrical issue and they didn't connect the electricals together properly and isn't always working the way it should, you know? And that's what I was going to say. The word you said was doubt. Like, that's what I feel like is going to start to creep in in KD's mind. It's like, okay, how confident is he going to be in his body when he do come back? Like, the season is already going. You know what I'm saying? The season is spinning now. It's like those little things they used to have at the park where the kids get on it and then you spin it around in a circle. Mm-hmm. It's like trying to jump on one of those. Those things, they took all those out the park now because they kept yeah. getting hurt on them. Right. I love that thing. The carousel. Yeah. The carousel, yeah. yeah. Carousel, baby. Yeah. It's the 90s toys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, uh, question of the day Draymond Green came out this week and said he is the best, he thinks he's the best defender of all time. I guess question of the day is Draymond Green, is he? The best defender of all time. I would agree. If he's guarding a guy, the seventh man off the bench, yeah, he can shut him down, definitely. <laughs> he's like, he can shut down every ninth through 15th or 12th player on a team. Yes. <laughs> I totally yeah. agree. Draymond, is, he's a character, man. 
You know what I'm saying? I don't. I don't even think it's a. Is he even the best defensive player right now? No, no, he's not right now. Ben Simmons, Bill Simmons is better than him right now. There's quite a few. I will put Rudy Gobert over him. Kawhi Leonard over him right now. Yeah, mm. like, I don't know. I put Paul George over him. <laughs> I, I don't know how. I put I put COVID nineteen over him. Paul George even knows how to d himself up once the playoffs start. That's exactly. what I'm saying. <laughs> so, 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 like, so I'm a d up everybody on that team and everybody on myself. It's like, this it had me questioning. So like, Draymond Green, I think he is one of the better defenders in the in league history. Is he the best defender of his generation? No. Is he a top 10 defender all time? No. But as a team defender, as playing team defense, I think he he, he would be somebody that you have to consider as being one of the best uh, team defenders of all time. That's me. How are you going to say? That's like saying the Syracuse Orangeman, man. They be having the best defenders. Credit for being a team defender. Well, I'm I mean, say- there are good team defenders, don't get me wrong. But if you go know, in that case, then you got to say Ron Harper is one of the greatest defenders of all time because he was a great team defender. My point is, when he started and took David Lee's spot, all right, mm-hmm. and then he had been playing a lot, and they were kind of like, well, should we play Draymond or David Lee? David Lee's our big investment. We're paying him. He's the one who kind of helped bring in with Bogut to change the culture. Um, but defensively, they were still deficient. Um, Draymond Green comes in. And that team becomes one of the best defensive teams in the league. The Warriors become one of the better defensive. And and oh, there goes there goes Pedro's wife. Um, yeah, what did I tell you? Just like clockwork. He was Just right. like clockwork. <laughs> <laughs> he was right. See, like, yellow. <clears throat> but um, but if you look at it, they became one of the better defensive teams in the league once he became the starter. He allowed Steph Curry to elevate his game because and not play Dray- defense well they said draymond green had the iq to be able to know when to switch to be able to challenge he wasn't one of these guys who's out there like terrence um uh who, who are some of those those big men who who don't understand how to play good d you know what i'm saying who don't know how to help who don't know how to challenge because they stand next to their man and somebody blows by him there's a lot of players like that draymond green was always a good safety net behind steph curry um allow clay thompson to to elevate his perimeter defense and um his leadership and being that that person that kind of will switch uh, and challenge any and everybody has allowed that team just to become in their run one of the best one of the best defensive teams in the league. So I, that's why I would say he's one of the best defensive team defensive players, in my opinion. That was a solid argument for Draymond as a team defender. You know what I'm saying? I, I bought everything you 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 put together right there. I I still don't think he's one of the best defensive of defenders of all time, mm-hmm. but. In that scenario, you're right. He, because that is important. That back man that talks to everybody and points everybody out. Like for the Lakers, that's what they missing with Anthony Davis because he plays he plays that role. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna you know downplay the importance of that. That that is that is crucial. I just you know, to mm-hmm. me when I think of great defenders, the first thing that pops into my head is Dennis Rodman. Yeah. Yeah, oh yeah. I mean, I could. Yeah, you can name. He, like was, he wasn't no Dennis Rodman. Dennis Rodman wasn't was another but level. Dennis Rodman was guarding your point guard or the center, leading the league in rebound. Like he's a player you could look at and say that's a great defender. I mean, I think Draymond, like you described, is it's more subtle. You know what I mean? Because he's more of a team defender. But Rodman was the type that you could just be like, okay, Clamps. that dude can just lock up anybody. You know yeah. what I mean. I, I think I think your team defender argument. I'm gonna go against your team defender argument, Jared. Because okay, okay. I think you're right. Don't get me wrong. I think it's important, and you're right. But I think let's not overhype it, right? Because what's home dude that you that you always talk about that was playing for Houston just got traded to Milwaukee? PJ Tucker. PJ Tucker. He's not PJ a team Tucker defender. He's not a good a, team defender. He's not a good team defender. No, but I mean, he do the same shit. He yelling at everybody where to go and what back door. And he's not good at it. You see decent. the levels. You see the levels of Draymond he's decent. versus him. He's decent. But I'm saying, he, Draymond Green isn't arguing that he's a great team defender. He's arguing that he's the greatest defender of all time. Yeah, and true. like I said, I could go, man, Joe Dumars was a better defender who had to guard better two guards that, that's in the game now. I think Draymond Green got a lot of hype because he would guard a point guard on a switch, right? Every now and then. Or he'll guard a, a big guy who has no post game, right? And we like sit there and we give him all this exceptional credit. Like he didn't guard Shaq or a Shaq-like person. He didn't, he wasn't taking a Steph Curry like point guard whenever he did switch. He might be on Chris Paul for one he play. Got to, he got to guard an old Tim play. Duncan a little bit. That's what, <laughs> Yes, <laughs> yes. It's like, dude, I can't compare you 
in your, I mean, I, I to me, Tony Allen's a better defender, right? Mm. That's Tony Allen. Uh, That's Michael Jordan, Gary Tony Payton, Allen was good. Tony Scottie Pippen. Because um, uh, Kobe gave him props. Kobe gave Tony Allen props as one of the yeah. toughest dudes to ever guard him. You know yeah. You heard what yeah. you heard what Tony Allen came out and said, bruh, come on now. You, you leave me off that list. You wouldn't better than me. And he said, he said, uh, Draymond responded to him saying, Yeah, man, you is a better defender for us, but we wouldn't guard you on offense. Self-check. Yeah, self-check. Yeah. He roasted him on that. I think the defensive player here is like a warped award I agree. nowadays. I agree. Like, uh, Mark Gasol got one. Yeah, <laughs> Mark Gasol got one. Yeah, Mar- Marcus Gasol, Marcus Gasol is a good team defender. He's not he a, good a good individual. team defender. I'll that's, give you that. that. That's why he won that award, though. He's like, man, he getting blocked. He getting some steals. You know what I'm saying? He rebounding because he's just standing in the middle. I agree. I agree with the defensive player award. It's it's a little overhyped award. Like some people get it. Like last year, Rudy Gobert got it. Uh, no, Giannis got it. And I was like, Giannis was great at help defense, but he didn't even guard. Like we saw in the finals with Jim, yes, when Jimmy Butler was going off, LeBron took him, right? AD went between AD and LeBron. AD should have been a defense player of the year last year. Anthony Davis was easily defense player of the year. And this dude hit. He didn't guard Jimmy Butler, not once. Why Jimmy Butler scored 50. It's like, just take it for a few series, right? Slow them down a little bit. Make someone else have to score. And that's that's why I was like, dude, this is how they played the whole year with Giannis. He's a great help defender. Right, great help for coming over and getting a block, but not defensive player of the year. So overrated stat. I think right. Draymond Green's going off for of that because he has like three. But yeah, but <laughs> once again, once again, like Draymond will then switch to guard the the he'll 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 try and guard Harden. Not 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 great. But I mean, he'll try let's and guard be real. He guarded guard a lot of mediocre three and D people that's in his league now. He did his Are best you? work. He did his best work. We were trying to guard people that were bigger than him. That's Draymond Green. But when them wing guys got hot, he couldn't stop it. Yeah, yeah, but he could. Yeah, he, was, he did a lot of, lot of dirty work underneath to be somebody that undersized. But the yeah. wing guys, when they got going, you see what happened if, if when Kawhi Leonard got hot. They was having problems keeping up with him, you yeah. know. Uh, he couldn't stop him. No, he couldn't, yeah. Yeah, well, at that point, that 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 team that team was falling apart. They They had – they had – their two best players injured or two of the yeah. best players out. And it was a Stefan Draymond. We saw how deficient that became, but um, I would just say Draymond green, one of the best team defensive players of all time. If you want to look at maybe the top 50 greatest defenders all time, he might be somewhere on that list, but he's definitely not. I wouldn't put him necessarily in the top 10 for sure. Definitely not. Oh. Um, but all right. My other question, other question of the day is, I wrote it down last night. I had a, I was, I had a reflection. I was talking uh, just to real quick. I might be wrong because Draymond Green might only have one defensive yeah, player. Yeah, I don't know about the three. I, yeah, I yeah. was wondering. Dwight Howard has three. Dwight Howard has okay. three. Okay. okay. Um, I guess so. I was out in the city yesterday. I rode my bike to the city, and there was a lot of people out near the marina. It was crazy, man. A lot of, a lot of beautiful wide women, uh, were out, and they were playing beer pong, sitting at the park. On top of each other, on top of each other, there were so many people just on top of on top of each other. It was crazy. I was like, man, COVID doesn't exist in the in in, in San Francisco no more. But uh, I saw this big ass police horse, and there was like one cop there on a police horse at this park in the city, and it just threw me off. Um, and then I just had to stop randomly popping my head, and so I was wondering, um, would y'all, if a if a police horse uh, kicked me, because I'm like right at the proper level to get mule kicked. If I got mule kicked by a police uh, horse and killed, would y'all call? Al Sharpton on my behalf. Call it Al Sharpton okay. for anybody's behalf. <laughs> okay, okay. Would y'all ask to defund the police if I got killed by a police horse? Man, uh, hell, man, you got kicked by a police horse. What, what were you doing? Were you fucking with the horse from behind? You know, know what I mean? I thought that you were smart enough to know you don't walk behind a fucking horse. What if the horse <laughs> turned its back to me? Then then whoever you with me, they asked with for not telling you, hey man, the horse is turning around. Let's move over here. <laughs> It's a damn horse, Jared. I don't think it did the shit on purpose. Oh, no, they do train them horses to be racist. I had one <laughs> neigh at me one time. <laughs> that nigger. <laughs> Come on, man. All right, stand-up comedy. Eddie Murphy or Dave Chappelle? This is okay. all personal opinion because it's a win-win. You can't go wrong. Yeah, no, no. They're both, absolutely, they're both great. To mm. me, though, like, Eddie, Eddie had a short stand-up window because again, he blew. Like he he got to where he didn't actually have to do stand-up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Chappelle, 
stayed in the comedy trenches his whole career. You know what sure. I'm saying? So that's what led to him being where he is now. But mm. in my opinion, Raw is top three albums of all time. Like the hype, how high Eddie went with Raw, I don't know if Dave has reached. But like the mm. longevity of the career, I would say you would have to give it to Dave, stand-up yeah. wise. You know yeah. what I mean? But to me, what Eddie Murphy did in Raw, yo, mm-hmm. that's like the comedy training tape. You know what I'm yeah. saying? I mean, yeah. He put everything in there, callbacks, like the bit. Uh, it was, it was, man. It was to me that was one of the greatest. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. We used to watch that in the dorm. We used to watch We're All in Delirious. Just I swear, it felt like we watched it once a month, both yeah, of them, once a month. That's funny. That's how me and my friends were with uh, Coming to America. That was mm-hmm. like our movie. We wore that out on VHS, then DVD. Like, you know what I'm saying? It's funny you say, like, listening to things. Aaron, you remember us listening to the Eddie Griffin album? Oh, we listened to that. We, we, we wore the right. Eddie Griffin <laughs> album we, we, my, my brother-in-law had it on CD, so we dubbed it on tape. I think we both, the same night, Pedro dubbed it, and I dubbed it. So we had our own tape. Just very, another, another very underrated comic, yo. <laughs> yes, yes. Eddie Griffin. Yeah. Eddie Griffin is a beast. You yeah. know what I'm saying? No, I like Dave Chappelle. I think, yeah, I think like you're saying, Eddie, Eddie, Eddie Murphy had the opposite of like what Leslie Jones had. He was able to like, you know, take the next step in yeah. the adventure of becoming a star and making money. But then, you know, yeah, Dave Chappelle, my brother told me a story. He was in Sacramento around the time Chappelle show. It was during Chappelle's show was out, and he went to a show, Dave Chappelle was doing a stand-up show. And people just kept screaming, I'm Rick James, bitch, during the set. And so he, like, got frustrated and, like, walked off, like, because he was just, like, he's trying to do his stand-up and he's trying to work on the craft that, like, is, like, his craft. And so he left, and then people, like, kept screaming Rick James, and he came out and he's like, hey, like, I understand y'all like Chappelle's show, you know, the, it's his own thing, but, like, he he basically said, this is this is what I work on. This is this is my passion, you know what I'm saying? And, uh, you know, for y'all to keep interrupting it and screaming shit out from the show, I appreciate the support, but at the same time, you're interrupting me from doing what I'm, what I, what I love to do right now. So I thought I found that pretty um, an interesting point um, of one of the reasons why he probably walked away from Chappelle's show because he had all kinds of, you know, people that you know the show maybe wasn't intended for to 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 appreciate as much, screaming out every little one liner from his show. But then also like, you know, I think he loved he loved his craft and he and, and he had that he had that crossroads in his life. But Chappelle, also too, the suits so, was trying to get involved. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. For like mm-hmm. the first the first season and a half. They never came down to to him recording. You know what I'm saying? Like they didn't mm. even actually know what was going on for the first year and a half. You know what I'm saying? Mm. And then once it blew up so much, they were showing up every day saying, "Put this in there and let's do this, have this." And you know yeah. what I'm saying? That that's one thing I really respect about Chappelle is he is all about the art form. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like to walk away from fifty million dollars, you got to be about the art form. You know what I'm saying? And then he ended up getting it back when he came back, but he didn't know that at the time. Yeah, he didn't know when he left and came back, Netflix was going to be waiting with a $40 million deal. You know what I mean? So he he took a chance and it it worked out for him. And I always like to see that because he basically bet on himself because when he left, no one knew he was going to have the comeback that he had. You know, it looked like he was leaving his career on the floor, you know? Well, yeah, especially the way Hollywood works. Like if you, if, if you wrong one big, big enough producer or company, like they can make it to where it's going to be hell to get a job anywhere. Yeah, I don't know how he walked away from that 50 million because ain't no way in hell I'm walking away from 50 million. Well, you know, what's crazy is that in like, it's like 2008 (laughs) or nine, um, he was kind of making like his he was starting to make appearances and he was in Oakland. He was at the new parish, shout out to New Parish uh, sponsorship, the new parish in downtown Oakland, where he did like basically almost it was like at least two weeks of like two shows a night at this spot. He was there every night for two weeks. He did That's his press thing. He did his thing where he did a small like this venue had just opened up. He, he was friends with two of the guys who were running the venue. And basically they got him there and like it was sold out every night for two weeks straight. And then because it was so popular um and lines around the block and this little spot that like as downtown oakland starting to kind of re we wouldn't say gentrify but reinvest in itself revitalize the revitalization like this new little venue which was you know just starting out like he helped give that place a push and get it back on the map so that was kind of dope and then um yeah man like he he did two shows sold out all over and then he came back for like another like 
two weeks after that, like later on, like a month later, did another yeah, two weeks. He, he did what so, Prince yeah. did in LA. You know, that that's it's, it's like you said, Kareem, that's like a, a nod to someone who really likes the art or something. Because remember when Prince mm-hmm. did all the those form. shows, he, he stayed in LA after he did the form. Remember, it's like a year before he died, he did, he like stayed in LA and he performed every night at like, mm-hmm. uh, what was it, House of Blues? It was like mm-hmm. five times a week he performed. He didn't make the show expensive or anything. You know, my family are big Prince fans. They end up going, I think my brother-in-law said he went to like 10 of them or, or more, right? My sister went to a few of them. My other sister went, my niece went, they just kept going. And it was just like, it just makes you say that, oh, he really likes the art of the performing. My right. sister got mad because he kept bringing the stars on the t- uh, stage to, perform, to sing, help him sing his songs, but he couldn't sing. But, uh, but it, that was like Chappelle performing at that little house. He just likes the, the art of that. Of, the process. Comedy. Yeah, the process. Yeah, he likes the process. Because that's why I was going to say, that's one thing I, I love about Chappelle is his process, man. He's all about the grind. Because Like what you said about what he did in Oakland, he did the same shit out here at the comedy store. Like he had this belly room show. Like the belly room is like the smallest room at the comedy store. It probably mm-hmm. hold 30, 40 people. You know what I'm saying? And mm-hmm. he was doing a belly room show for for... I want to say almost close to a year. And then uh, that became, because his Netflix thing, he put out two specials on one day yeah. on, a new, on a New Year's, like a New Year's mm-hmm. Eve, it came out a few years back. Like that, mm-hmm. was, that was his two specials to Netflix for the 40 million. And one of those specials was the one that he had been working on. So even as big as he got, he could still go to like a, a hole in the wall spot like that and create his process. Because a lot of times, once comics get big, they produce, they set in like theaters. Mm-hmm. And that's a mm-hmm. different, that's a different form of comedy. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's a lot harder to make 20 people laugh than it is 2,000 people or 20,000 yeah. yeah, You know what I mean? That 20 person laughter that Chappelle's getting in them rooms, that's the real shit right there. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Yeah. Like you could take that anywhere, you know. Dave Chappelle's my favorite comedian all time, so you know I'm I'm biased in that mm-hmm. way. But um, uh, yeah, no, it's I think they're both they're both legends that you know continue to expand the the opportunities of where comedy can go in their different ways, you know. And so, you know, you got to pay you know respect to to all of them and how they you know impact the scope of what this craft can be, whether it's in you know, saying some form of stand up or some form of like uh, sketch comedy or some form of movie making, whatever it is, they're they're, you know, carving out different avenues by which, you know, you can you can then have these new forms of comedy grow off of it. So um, and new you, people coming behind them in these thing, in these lanes that they open up. Exactly. Do you think Richard Pryor can get away with saying this these days in the cancel culture? In L.A. on TV, they'd be selling niggas. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, man, that dude was way, way, way ahead of his time, yo. Like, I mean, he would figure out a way, yo. He was that brilliant. He was just a yeah. communicator. It was just at that time, he that was pushing the envelope. Like, he would push the envelope today, however close. He would get as close as you can to that line for today. Yeah, You know what I'm saying? And maybe even go over it a little bit. But yeah. for, for that time, that was the line. I think he did a great job of pushing that line to make it funny because I think there was a lot of fear between, you know, with race relations in America, cultural, you know, relations in America. Like he was able to, I see white people laughing at a show. I seen black people laughing at a show. He was able to to deliver something that was so poignant, make it, you know, funny to where people could laugh at it, but also like kind of like what Chappelle does a good job with, like come away with like, oh shit, that's something to, you know, think about. I didn't think about it that way. Right. Yeah, I didn't think about uh-huh. it that way. But that shit was funny, but also like there's there's real truth to it. And and um, I think that's the craft of, you know, a great comedian is you tell the truth through your jokes. But at the same mm-hmm. time, you make it digestible and funny. So people aren't sitting there feeling like they're being lectured on how to live and how to be uh, in some way. But you get them to, to, to gain some new understanding and perspective through your jokes. The, the amazing ones uh, are really good at that. So. Absolutely. There, don't forget, cancel culture was starting a long time ago. It was just hadn't built up steam. Because remember when uh, your boy Reggie White said this: "If you go to Japan or any Asian country, they could turn a television into a watch." And that was that was the benign <laughs> thing he said. <laughs> that was one of the nicest things he said. Uh... <laughs>
True. <laughs> I, I wish we had that whole set. Cutty Corner Shoutouts, Cutty Corner Shoutouts, Cutty Corner Shoutouts is the segment we end the show with where everyone gets the floor to rant, complain about something that is on their mind, has been grinding their gears, or just ain't working the right way. It can also be a positive shout-out for something that you want to highlight and shed, you know, positivity on. So, Cutty Corner Shoutouts, Cutty Corner Shoutouts. It's time. It's, it's time. Cutty Corner. We're burning down. God, if you listen, help. So cold and bleeding now, now, now. I meant what it meant. Gonna let you down. He had sex with my mama. We're broken people now. I just said I need a Becky Adams. Aaron, do you have a Cutty Corner shout out? Yeah, my Cutty Corner shout out um, goes out to. HBO Max and uh, a few other streaming services. And I think I did streaming services recently, right? This one is uh, for HBO Max, uh, not for the price rise. Price raise. Everyone might be thinking, oh, they raised the price $1, this and that. I can live with that. But it goes out for ever since HBO Max has come out. I'm one of those people that I've always had HBO since I've been in college. Since I moved out of the dorms and got my own apartment, I've always had HBO with my cable service, right? And I've always looked forward to what the Saturday movie of the week is. There's always a brand new movie every Saturday, eight o'clock. I would look for, I used to get to the point where I would wait to Thursday. When digital cable came out, you can look forward days and, and, and you can look forward in the guide. I would wait to Thursday, Thursday before I was like, oh, let me see what the movie is and then make my plans accordingly, right? If I wasn't going out that Saturday, doing any of this. Now in this pandemic, since HBO Max has come out, HBO does not do a movie of the uh, thing because HBO Max is doing special releases, this and that. And some of them, they will release them on both, but HBO Channel and HBO Max. And some of them are just are just HBO Max only. Which I know you're thinking, hey, you probably got one of these smart TVs. It's not a hard thing. Still, it's something I'm looking forward to. And today you release, yesterday you released Tina. Tina. So after not having any special Saturday releases of brand new movies, and yes, there hasn't been a lot of brand new movies because of the shutdown and pandemic, but to give me Tina Turner, a documentary on Tina Turner, I already seen it. Wasn't the, uh, wasn't that movie Ike Beats, Ike Beats Tina, that movie? Wasn't that the documentary? I was close enough. I mean, you know, Lawrence Fishburne, like, was close. So why do we need a Tina Turner documentary during this time? I like Tina Turner. I have nothing against her. Here's the main problem. I can't joke about it, right? When when that movie came out, What's Love Got to Do With It? Me and Pedro had a field day laughing. That You know what? That might be the second most serious movie we laughed at behind Antoine Fisher, right? Antoine Fisher, another one of those movies that people find depressing and sad or, or, or inspirational, and it just makes me laugh, especially some of the abuse scenes, right? And Ike and Tina was that same movie. What does love got to do with the same movie? But now in these days, it's not okay to laugh at, uh, you know, some of the things that happen and how Ike says something or how he acts. I mean, we love when Living Color did all the bits off of Ike and Turner. Mrs. Ike Fire, when they did uh, You Must Understand That a Vicious Backhand Cuts Off All the Flack. <laughs> he sang his own version of What's Love Got to Do With What's It. Oh, yeah, that was, that was actually it. And, um, and Tina lied, not the truth, not the truth. Not the truth. That's another story. <laughs> Tina lied, not the truth. Ask Tyson and Joe Jackson. He said, ask Tyson, someone else, and Joe Jackson. <laughs> and, I mean, these things are, I found hilarious, but as Pedro said earlier, we're in this cancel culture time, so I can't get the enjoyment I usually get out of a movie like this, right? And then is it going to touch on these things? No, because of cancel culture, they're moving away from touching on those things that will bring excitement. I now, now, let me tell you this. I do not laugh at a woman getting abused. That's not what made me laugh, right? Antoine Fisher, I didn't laugh. It was just how things were done and said. You know, they always used to say comedy is like the darkest humor. Those are the darkest mm-hmm. people. The comedians tend to be dark because they can find humor in those situations that are disturbing. They see the world in that way. And I hate to say it, sometimes I see the world in that way. So maybe it's not, maybe it's HBO, maybe it's HBO Max, maybe it's just a time we're in. I don't know where my cutty corner goes here, but it's just, it's a hard situation. You think it's hard for comedians to not, to not ride that edge? I think it's hard for me to not laugh. Pedro, do you have a cutty corner shout out? I do. And it's about uh, joining super teams. 
not just joining super teams to stack up to win the championship. Joining super teams and you know your ass is washed up. Blake Griffin and LaMarcus Aldridge. Y'all really chasing. Y'all, y'all don't want to have no competition left, huh? You just don't do the easy way out? You, at least y'all think it's going to be easy until some of these young kids start running you off them screens and y'all sugar foot start acting up. Or your hip. Or your, or, your, uh, or your hamstring gets sore. Because you know, Blake Griffin, you ain't ran that hard in three or four years. And once you try to catch up, keep, keep up with these young kids, um, cutting to the rim, leading the back screens, throwing lobs over the top, well, you about to see this in the playoffs. You about to see what's real in the playoffs. Y'all better hope James Harden and Kyrie Irving can hold it down. Now, J- James Harden will be able to hold it down Kyrie Irving, on the other hand, if he has like a uh, personal, he might have a personal, uh, I have to leave for a couple of games because I got to celebrate my birthday. It's my sister's birthday, so I got to leave a couple of games. All that stuff is going to go out the window. Y'all don't have com- camaraderie. When you run into a real team like the Miami Heat, if you run into the 76ers. So don't think because you stacking right now, it's going to lead your way to a championship. My Cutty Corner shout out goes out to SF uh, uh, School District for uh, voting out Allison Collins or stripping her of her role. Now, I, maybe she deserves to be stripped of her role, um, but Allison Collins um, is being called out for some anti-Asian tweets from 2016, where uh, to surmise them, she was asking about the Asian American community and their uh, treatment of other minorities and um, accepting in some regards the model minority um, and becoming and accepting uh, kind of a form of what you would say is being the house the house nigga is what she is one of her tweets apparently she said also being the house niggas of this you know white supremacist construct where you know what I'm saying we, we we're all seen as different variations of niggas to to the to the to the people in power and I feel as though um, trying to push her out uh, might be the right thing just to do, just to, you know, just to gain some, I don't know, uh, confidence from people who are who found it offensive when she tweeted. However, this is one of those situations where I think there needs to be the conversation of what we're getting at. And this needs to be the conversation that I might cut a corner shout out from last week. Aaron, you heard that one where I was talking about, you know, saying I, I see it from both sides. I see black people saying Asian people have yeah. done us dirty and, 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 you know, they haven't helped us out in our struggle, um, which, you know, is in variations of truth of some people's perspective, but also variations of, you know, misrepresentation of the actual struggle and the, the collaborations that have happened. Um, and in this case, it's like, oh, we got to push to silence this woman who she, she's Megan Markle to me, but I guess she is black. But, um, but at the same time, <laughs> like, She's calling out part of the dynamic that is transcends our racial affiliations. Um, and I'm not saying she did the best job of it, but what she's questioning and she's trying to create the discourse that we should be like, let's take these tweets and have a discussion about it, is where are we at with our ethnic, racial, and cultural relations to the point where we are being manipulated um, to argue and bicker amongst each other. If we call each other out for something that we've experienced, then we need clarification for that experience. Now, she's speaking on behalf of her daughters who had seen some things happen in a a predominantly Asian-American high school, as she said, um, where there was racism of forms that were, you know, supporting the the narratives of the, you know, white supremacy or colonial expansion. You know, those things that are, you know, Asian kids potentially talking shit about Mexican kids and making fun about, you know, jokes about um, being deported. And and granted, in high school, you know, that's the time where we might, you know, cross the line with our jokes. Yes. Just be assholes to each other. So I, I want to leave openness. Maybe she needs to leave openness and, and have thought about that. But at the same time, she was she was asking these questions. She wanted to have a conversation. And I think that from those tweets to now, five years later or four and a half years later, we should have that conversation of like, yes, th- these race dynamics and these cultural differences. We need to like continue to build build those bridges and, and fill in those gaps where we have these misunderstandings and we, to better understand the system that we're all playing in number one, but number two, so that we can also build a more, you know, saying cohesive and collaborative society where we're not feeling like we're separate from each other and, and, and trying to be crabs in a barrel and pull each other down. 
And by, you know, you know, stripping of her power and asking her to leave, I'm not saying that's the wrong thing in this situation because of the time and moment that these things are coming up. But at the same time, I don't think it's the best thing. And I think that people that are offended by it need to be able to have the conversation about it. Just like the people who are offended by the word defund the police. We'll have a conversation about it. I Granted, I understand it's maybe not the best wording. Granted, I understand she might have used the best wording here in some of her tweets, but I don't see her being actually hating Asian Asian American people for this. I don't see her condemning Asian American people. I see her condemning behaviors that have happened um, in Asian American communities, just like I, you can see things happening in other communities that you can, you know, you know, question and potentially condemn if you look at how it's affecting other groups. Um, yeah, man, I'm just, I'm just disappointed that, that there was such an uproar on this instead of a conversation about it. People want to have the uproar and see the consequence or see the canceling happen before they actually have the real conversation about what the issue is. And uh, I'll tell you this, from my personal experience, you know, saying I know that my dad dating my mom in the 60s and 70s was, mm -hmm. was, not, was not looked well upon in the Asian community in particular. It's not looked well upon right now, Jerry. Um. But in that way, you know what I'm saying? I'm just saying like, in, no, my, in, in, the, in, the, yeah, in that circle, in that circle <laughs> at that time, you know what I'm saying? It wasn't a good look. And my mom went through grief. My dad was yeah. not looked at, like, yeah. it was not okay. And like, this is, this was like 40 years ago, right? So I get yeah. that 40, 50, 45 years ago. But those roots of the reason why, you know, not going and dating outside your race was an issue then haven't changed now. And it expands just more to, than dating. It expands more just the interpersonal relationships. It expands into our economic relationships. It expands into our into our our, our our living location relationships. It expands into the way that we see the possibilities of the world and we relate those things too. So in what she said, she might've had some things that she could have reworded that I thought, you know, maybe were like a little offensive, but nothing that was demeaning and taking down Asian people. And so there needs to be that conversation. So I need my Asian brethren. I know things are tough right now, but we've seen tough times. Be strong and be willing to have that conversation. Um, white people who are trying to jump into it right now, stay the fuck out unless you gonna sit here and say, we were here to listen and also help you guys build around and find ways that we can build and, you know, dismantle this racist structure that we're all playing in. Otherwise, shut the fuck up and let Asian and black people have a discussion and discourse about some of this shit. And the people she talked about, Mexican and Latino people, let them have a discourse about how, as, as a community, we can build these bridges together and fill in those gaps of differences and misinterpretations of each other. All right. And if we are playing into the into the white supremacist structure and behavioral mannerisms, then we're going to call you out for that shit and don't do that shit. And it's OK to call each other out for that shit. So that's my cutty corner shout out. Stop bullshitting both sides, every side. Stop bullshitting white people. Allies, be allies. Don't be in here trying to pile on one way or the other because it benefits you and takes away the conversation from the real conversation of what needs to happen, how we need to, you know, defund some of these structures. Not I me, mean, not defund, but we need to, you know, saying dismantle some of these racist structures that have been built and fortified for generations and centuries. Yeah, and that nigga owe me five dollars. Well, that is our show, my friend. What's up? No, I want to have a uh, podcast. One, one, one day we're going to have a podcast. We're going to talk about reality. Mm -hmm. <laughs> reality is, I don't understand why Jared Brother is doing this fantasy thing. It's still <laughs> only six o'clock in the East Coast. I mean, y'all didn't, didn't, didn't have your projections picked out? Man, I don't know. The so problem is, it's not a regular fantasy draft. You don't do a regular too. snake draft. If we did a snake draft, I'll be more fine. Because then I could pick whoever's the best available, and then and then I go back. Yeah, I thought this is an auction draft. The problem is an auction draft. You got to be so on gotta top have, of it. Oh. You got to be on top. Watch it. Or you could just not. You could do the duck Ooh. thing and just not draft and just let it. I'll let be it. honest. I, I'll be honest. I was a bigger fan of that auction draft at the beginning. Now it's the point where like, man, this thing is after. It's gonna take a while. Well, no, maybe thought, maybe everyone's getting better. Send you like, so I thought you would send y'all the link to. So this this is done today. Basically, everything's done today. Yeah. So what maybe? Oh wow. Okay. It's a crazy time. Wait, what, what yeah. is Montana? Is Montana on the same time as Arizona? No, yeah. no, mountain time. Mountain time. Mountain yeah, time. They, they Denver, they're on Denver time. I'm on your time now. Yeah, you're on our time now. So wait, wait. So now time. you guys are on our time. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, we go back up, to the, it's, uh, we go back. No, we go back to their time. They don't change their clock. We're always yeah, at the same time. Clock. But yeah. Arizona don't change the clock. Well, anyways, well that is our show, my friends. Any uh, oh, it's starting ten seconds. Any uh, any final words you guys want to say, Pedro? Five, four, three, two, one. 
<laughs> so I ain't got nothing. I got to get ready for this draft. I'll get uh, ready yeah. for the draft. I'll leave y'all alone. And email these parents. Let us know how Tom and Jerry is later, Pedro. I'm going to see Tom and Jerry rented out in a whole theater for the whole family. Everybody hey, going. I can't get my damn sound hey, to uh, You have fun <laughs> with that, Pedro. You take care, All brother. Right. Okay. All right. All right. And we will leave you with this. Eddie Murphy, fuck you. television you're the fuck you man right i love it suck my dick huh Anyways, well, that was just, I just had that thought late last night. And you gotta ask someone else, Jerry. I don't know, man. I do like horses. I don't believe in horse racing. I, you know, maybe it's getting back at you for all the times you bet on horse racing. You know, that was, <laughs> I got a lot. There's a lot of questions to answer that, here. That was my, that was my old uh, cigarette smoking Chinese side. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> I had to be there with my brethren and see all my Asian brethren over there chain smoking and throwing all they, all they betting slips down on the ground once they lost. <laughs> that shit's crazy. What? Well, are they more bent slips or cigarette butts on the ground? Which one? Uh, it's bent slips, but it's a, it's very close. It's a ratio that is almost a one to one. I would say, it's close. It's close to one to one. See them cigarette, and then and then people got their toddlers walking around like we're at the park watching horses race. I'm like, you see all these cigarette butts and different slips <laughs> on the ground. Like this is <laughs> teaching your kids cigarettes is okay and littering is fine, and, and that you can abuse oh. animals. I'm like, this is a trifecta of teaching your kids the wrong thing. <laughs> I might like what you did there. Yep. <laughs> it's like I'm, we can find I'm, another I'm thing, make it a superfecta. I'm one of them grandparents because I had my grandkids at the racetrack. I'm trying to see if I can share the picture. It's like I don't want my kid wearing a mask, but I'm gonna take them to the racetrack so they can get that secondhand smoke. It's like it might as well be first hand smoke. <laughs> <laughs>